0: Welcome to I Want to Put a Baby in You, a podcast exploring reproductive technology and life changing stories. Here are your hosts, Jennifer White and Ellen Trackman.
1: Welcome to the podcast. I'm Ellen Trackman here with my sister, Jennifer White. Hey, Jen. Hey, how are you doing? Good. This is a long but really good, um, rough at times but really good episode. So super short intro. Um, Jen, do you collect anything? Yeah, I mean, I think
2: actually in keeping with this episode is I collect turtles because um, we lost. I mean, as some people know, I don't know how much we've talked about on here, but we lost one of our brothers to suicide a huge number of years ago. And one of my enduring memories of him was we were on a cruise and we went to one of the stops. We went to a turtle, quote, turtle farm. And we asked, we're like, oh, when do you release them back to the ocean? And they said, we don't, we eat them. And so Jesse and I like stood there totally horrified and had this whole, we were like plotting how we could free the turtles by throwing them over the barriers, you know? And so in his honor, <laughs> you know, after he passed away, I collect turtles all the time in my head I am constantly like saying free the turtles every time I get a new one. So that's, that's my oh, ways I think about people. And I think that is a really nice like tie in as we go into listen to Kristen talk about, her amazing, uh, 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 words
1: cannot describe her journey that we're about to hear. Welcome, Kristen McQuaid, the founder of the nonprofit London is the Reason. We are so honored to have you join us on the podcast. Thank you, Kristen. Thank
0: you for having me.
1: And I don't, I'm always the worst at the start, but when you tell your story, where do you like to start?
0: Uh that's the hardest thing because, <laughs> right? I feel like it's the biggest exhale is how I think of even beginning my story because mm. it just seems like the never-ending story, um, yeah. which is a great movie, by the way. Um, I,
2: I actually started singing the song and, and I'm a little embarrassed. <laughs> and you said that I was the best movie, so. <laughs>
0: No, it's a great movie, but um, not in my m- not in my world. That movie was not so great. Um, you know, it's it has consumed much of my life. However, it has also made me the person I am today and who I felt like I was supposed to be in life. And as strange as that sounds, as we get into my story and. How tragedy has changed me. I feel like I wouldn't want it any other way. Mm. And how do
1: you how do you describe yourself before the story? Like who you were before? Oh, I
0: was so career driven. I Mm. was a you know woman entrepreneur. I just loved what I did. I come from the creative film television background. I danced professionally. I, I danced for Britney Spears and Prince and oh, wow, <laughs> yeah, no, I was in it. Um, I lived in LA for 15 years and I just loved it. I, there was a point where I was like, I don't even have time for a boyfriend. Like this is mm. all I want to do in life. And, uh, w- I went to a wedding and I met my husband and he was from Oklahoma. And at the time I was like, I don't even know where Oklahoma is on the map.
2: <laughs> <Ouch>. <laughs>
0: I don't think I can live there nor date someone from there. And um, we actually were in a long distance relationship for four years. And I finally I still don't know how I made this decision, but I was like, you know, if I left the industry right now, I feel like I have accomplished what I have wanted to do.
2: Um,
0: And so I made the move to Oklahoma and it still doesn't feel like me. Uh, However, I'm accepting it more now. (laughs) So.
1: (laughs) And has Oklahoma grown on you? How do you feel about Oklahoma now?
0: Uh, you know, it's so slow. Everyone is so uh-huh. slow. However, everyone is so nice. Um, mm-hmm. I, spe- I feel like in LA, everyone is so self-centered and everyone's like trying to just make it themselves. And here, I feel like everyone's kind of for everyone else. So it's mm-hmm. very opposite feeling. Um, but I like it. Uh, it's it was a very good balance when I would go from one to the other. And I actually, before I had London, I would travel back and forth all the time and still continue my career. And then now that I have two children on earth, I I don't want to leave. I'm just in the world of mom land and I just love
1: yeah. it. Nice. Um, okay, let's start the parenthood journey. So at that wedding, were you like, hey, you want to have kids?
0: You no, know, I I feel like I always wanted kids as a little girl, but I always wanted to adopt. And I don't know if that's because a lot of my friends growing up were adopted, and I just thought that was the coolest thing ever that like you could give someone a life that wouldn't have parents um, growing up. And so I don't think that right away I was like, let's settle down and have kids because I still was in that mindset of selfishly me, 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 and my career. Um, I feel like it was around maybe five years after we got married that I decided, you know, I think it's best that we try and have a family now. And I've I've reached that point where, you know, I'm ready to to shift out of Kristen world.
1: <laughs> and how did your spouse feel?
0: Oh, he wanted kids a lot sooner than I did. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, he was like, we need to do this. Like, let's do this now. And I just think because he was born and raised in Oklahoma and I don't want to like, you know, categorize anyone, but I feel like in Oklahoma people have babies very early here. Um, And where I come from in LA, it's like very like old parents are having children. And so I think it's just very different, like where you're, where you're coming from and where you grow up so but he my husband was very supportive of my decision of wanting to wait and I feel like we were ready for kids when we had them and I I feel I'm glad that we waited honestly Um, I love being an older parent um, and I I wouldn't have wanted it any other way
1: And once that decision was made that now feels right, how did things go?
0: Well, you know, I just thought it was straight out of, you know, a fantasy straight out of the Disney movie. Like, you know, you're just going to go in and we're going to try and immediately we're going to have a baby. The and, high school textbook, you know, you have sex once right. and Well, right. <laughs> I don't like, know. But if it's Disney school, fairy tale, like,
1: that, that baby will probably be kidnapped or have magic powers oh, and right. be kidnapped. <laughs> so I don't even that.
0: Totally. Right. And then in Sex Ed, you know, they're telling you, don't have sex. You're gonna get right. pregnant. Don't have sex. And so your mindset as as a child has just been like when you have unprotected sex, you're gonna have a child. Right. And so, you know, we did the whole thing, like, let's plan, like, let's try now. And then when it comes summer, we'll have the baby and then we can travel to this place and we can go. Well, that obviously didn't <laughs> go as planned. Um, we tried naturally, I feel like, for mm, seven years. Wow.
1: Um,
0: and I still, I feel like, wasn't in that... I need it now stage. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I wasn't too concerned. Uh, We did get pregnant and I was on cloud nine. Um, Mm -hmm. I just thought this was like the coolest thing. And I I remember... Um, running. And my husband is a cardiologist. So he was at work and I was actually leaving to go to a job. And so before I went to the airport, I ran in and I, it was, I I think I was trying to make it a big movie scene. So I was like running down the hall. Like I wanted it to be like slow motion. And, um, I hugged him and I was like, we did it. Like, this is so exciting. Aww. And We went to our uh, first heartbeat appointment and my husband grabbed my hand and there was a part of me, it was like I knew that something wasn't right because the way that I didn't react back to him, there was no excitement in my heart and my soul. And there was, they couldn't find the heartbeat and the nurse said, well, you know, sometimes it could just be a little early. We're going to send you back up to the doctor. And the doctor walked in and very businesslike comes in and says, you're having a miscarriage. And for a woman to hear that, it's like that's just saying like you're at Starbucks ordering and they're like, we're out of vanilla syrup. Like it, – it, It's Uh, not like a very natural conversation to have with someone. I think that it could have been addressed much easier. And um, down the line in our story, you'll hear more about how that in doctors and in the medical field, I feel like needs change. But um, proceeding forward, I knew that, I could get pregnant. And a few years later, I started to develop a lot of pain and having sexual intercourse um, was extremely painful. And Mm -hmm. it was like knives. And I knew something was not right. And we went back to the doctor and they said I had endometriosis. And I had heard about it, but not to the extent that I would have liked to know about it. Um, and so –
1: And I'll, I'll say I've heard of endometriosis many times, but I'd never heard of that symptom, that, you know, inner yeah. being so painful could be a symptom or related.
0: You know, I didn't either. And, you know, I heard a lot of, you know, pain like cramps, which I definitely yeah. had, and heavier periods, uh, which I – Didn't have, but it was sexual intercourse was just so painful. Like I would be in tears and I almost was embarrassed to say anything to my husband because I didn't want to feel like I was letting us down. And, um, as a woman, I feel like we can't, we have a hard time expressing feelings like that, where we shouldn't. And I guess I didn't really have like a voice to say there's something wrong until it just got to the point where I did. And I went to the doctor, they said, no worries. Like we will go in and we'll just clean it out and you'll be good as new.
1: That perspective that you didn't want to say anything and that kind of like fear of disappointing, I mean, we often associate with that with more like timid women, but not like this amazing career oriented, right. strong person, which I think just as a reminder that anyone can have those feelings and react those ways that way. Yeah,
0: absolutely. You know, I, I feel like I'm I'm in the public eye and I have been for my whole life. And I think a lot of people don't realize that we have real feelings too. And I am a very strong woman and I can tell my story now uh, through my tragedy uh, without crying the whole time. Um, A year ago, I don't know if that would have been where I would have been today, but even something with handling endometriosis or any pain, you feel that way. And I actually just came across somebody the other day that was saying, I am just so embarrassed. I don't want to bother the doctors. I don't want to act like I'm in the way or asking too many questions. And I said, well, that's the problem. That is why we are where we are today in so many situations in the healthcare industry is just because we don't speak up and we're too nervous. And I think women need to stand their ground. And, you know, our bodies go through so much. I mean, to handle carrying a human inside of us, we should be able to sit there for an hour and ask questions and not feel embarrassed or ashamed.
1: For sure. So once you got that diagnosis, was that a helpful turning point?
0: It was because, you know, they the doctor said, once we clear you out, you're going to get pregnant right away. Like it is basically a fertile ground for you. And we're going to go in and you're going to get pregnant right away. And so I was thinking, well, I'm excited for this surgery. Not only am I going to feel better, yeah. but now I'm going to get pregnant and maybe with twins. You know, I'm, I'm just like very hopeful at this point. And so, I had the surgery, and we didn't get pregnant. And so, mm. I was put on these pills. I don't know what they were called, but something to make more eggs drop or something, I or like clomid or one of those. Yeah, yeah, of yeah, oh. exactly, clomid. And you know, he was like, "Well, you're on the highest dose. We're gonna go in and clean you out again." And now that you're on Clomid, and now oh, yeah. that you're cleaned out again, you're definitely going to get pregnant. And so, Which
2: is also super fun because Clomid makes you ragey too. So, I'm sure that was a lot of fun.
0: <laughs> I'm just I'm telling you, like, but I was so committed to this now where I didn't, nothing really bothered me at that point. Like, I was like, this is going to happen. Like, we are going to get pregnant. I don't care how many surgeries I have to go through. We're going to do this. And so, but I felt like I felt pressure again because, you know, it's already so stressful to try for a child. And then when your doctor is almost guaranteeing that you're going to get pregnant and nothing is happening, then you almost feel like, okay, what am I doing wrong? Like, where am I losing the grounds here. Like I, am I, it's just something is not matching up because the doctor is saying that this is going to happen and it's not. So I went back in and he said, okay, we're going to do a third endometriosis surgery. Um, and he came out and I actually ended up having to stay in the hospital that last time. And which it's normally an outpatient, 20-minute surgery, going in, cleaning that all out. And it ended up being a two-hour surgery. And he said it was one of the worst cases of endometriosis he he had ever seen. And And so
1: each time they're clearing it out, it just comes back.
0: And, you know, it was over the span of a a year or two. Um, So it wasn't just like immediate coming back. But I had you know i went on to doctor google and i w- was like i can i know other women that this is happening to and they have had babies so this is going to be fine and i am a huge kardashian's fan and so mm-hmm. i knew that chloe kardashian had endometriosis and was having trouble having a baby and she had a baby so i was thinking kristen you can do this. Um, if Chloe can do it, so can you. And so I really just had that positivity in my head. And, you know, after that last surgery, I knew that this could be like my last chance uh, to have a, a child. And we ended up getting pregnant two more times after that ending in two early miscarriages. So there was just a disconnect and I don't know where it I don't know if just the endometriosis was just beating up on that embryo or or what it was, but I ended up having to get a hysterectomy um, oh. because the endometriosis came back again. and those words coming from a doctor, were, uh, it, like death, basically. Um, there's just no other way to put it. Uh, your dream of becoming a mom is over. Like I will never have the feeling of flutters and hiccups and kicks and morning sickness. And I wanted to experience it all the good, the bad, the ugly, like I wanted to do that. And I never, ever will get that chance. And I had to kind of like have a come to Jesus meeting with myself and say like, maybe this isn't, maybe I'm not meant to be a mom. Like maybe mm-hmm. I'm just meant to be a dog mom. And um, cause I, I taught dance for my whole life. And so I would mentor so many kids all across the United States and they were like kids to me. And so I was thinking like, maybe that's, that's my purpose. Like maybe those are my kids and I'm supposed to just mentor these other children. Um, but my, I, my husband was like, I don't know. I just, I really think that we have other options and I had honestly never heard of surrogacy before. Mm. And so I was looking into other ways of having children. And of course, in the back of my mind was adoption because that's what I wanted to do at as, as I was little. And, and
1: at that point, no Kardashian had used a surrogate. Is that right?
0: That's right. Yeah. They they had not used the surrogate at that point. So I looked into surrogacy. And the reason why I, I ended up choosing surrogacy before adoption, um, and we'll get to why I adopted um, soon, but uh, I felt like it was my closest way of feeling like I was pregnant and I could go to as many doctor's Mm -hmm. appointments. I could talk to my surrogate and Feel like I could ask any questions and get information. And did the baby keep you up all night? And oh, my gosh, I can't imagine that, you know, the baby's kicking right now. And oh, did she's flipping all over the place. And like, that's the coolest thing. And so I felt like I was carrying London at London is the name of my daughter. Um, and I, I felt like I was carrying her, although I wasn't. Yeah So
1: you chose surrogacy, you found a surrogate. Do you want to tell a little bit about kind of that that setup to the surrogacy?
0: Yeah, so you know there's so many amazing surrogacy agencies all over the United States, and I don't believe that there's one, better than the other I think that it's kind of just in your area a lot of them have like you know different ways of financially going about it and so we found one I'm gonna throw
2: in there that the good ones none of them are better than the others but there are some bad ones (laughs) we're just gonna throw that out there
0: okay good that's good to know because listen I only know the ones that I talked to and they pretty much, they all seemed pretty good. The, the
2: good yeah, ones good. are all, I think equal. Like that's the, that's the answer is that there's a great cop tier. There is
0: a not, there's a, there's a few. We'll just, we'll just go there. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's good. So do your research is right. the bottom line here. Okay. So do yep. your research. <laughs> so we ended up going um, with, a surrogacy agency in Texas, and we were presented three surrogates, and we matched with um, a young couple that had two kids of their own, and they were both um, C-section babies, so we knew that London would be a a C-section birth which was kind of good for me because then I could plan and know exactly when she was going to be born. And um, especially being in Oklahoma and we would know when to drive and do all that kind of stuff, thinking way ahead. And so um, it was a great meeting. Like I felt like we really connected from the very beginning. This was her first journey and also ours. And so I feel like the newness going into both sides was pretty exciting and it made it for an exciting nine months, you know, after you get through the other six months of doing all the paperwork and legal and all of that stuff. So it's not just a, a nine month process, but, um, You know, I felt like we were a great match and we were excited and, you know, we went to the transfer and we flew in to Houston is where our embryos were. And so we went there for the transfer. It was a successful transfer and our journey of a perfect pregnancy had taken place.
1: So lucky for a
0: while very lucky because at that point not only had we lost so many children along the way we were lucky that the first transfer took and we only transferred one embryo and we had done a lot of research before that knowing that you know a lot of times the first, it could take a couple of transfers Mm -hmm. for that to actually stick and, and work. So we definitely, um, lucked out there and we proceeded forward. I, uh, Steve, you know, had to stay here and work at the hospital. And I had flown in for a couple of the appointments. I went to the big anatomy scan at 20 weeks and, Mm -hmm. I had done all of that you know the fun the fun things I had I threw a baby shower I had every everybody um talking about my daughter and everybody knew her name was London and it was just a world that we had created um for London before she was even here and I think that's what most do is like you feel like you already know this human even though they're not present and we had decorated her nursery it was so cute it was black and white very chic and modern something that I felt like she could grow into her whole life and um, it was just I dream of that nursery all the time it was just so pretty and we had no complications along the way There was never a hesitation of oh this testing is kind of iffy this looks i mean the appointments were in and out uh there was nothing of any sort of concern that something would be wrong until until so we um knew the date of london's birth would be july 14th 2021 So we drove to Dallas and we got in the car and we knew we had like a five hour drive and we kind of, Steve and I looked at each other and we were thinking, we don't even know what we're doing. Like we don't even know how to be parents. What like our whole house, you guys was, it was baby Disneyland. And I watched hundreds of YouTube videos of this is the best chair to buy. However, some people don't like this chair, some babies. So you might want to buy this other one too. I bought everything. I mean, (laughs) every room in our house had brand. I had the cleaners come. I had it disinfected. I had, I mean, very much like over the top. Like clearly this was a woman that had waited 15 years at this point we're now 15 years in from trying to have a baby. So um, clearly I was way ready. And so we left the house and just so excited. And so I said, why don't we listen to some podcast about bringing home a newborn baby? And so there we were and we're listening and we're like, okay, changing diapers. Okay, yeah, we have those. And we're just like the newest, cutest couple learning about how to bring home a baby. Mm-hmm. Um and so I got a voice message from my surrogate saying London's heartbeat sounds good. Oh, and I oh. thought, okay. Great. That's odd. You've never sent me any of that before, but gr- cool. We're rec- we're excited. So we went and uh, we actually had dinner with uh, the surrogate's family and her parents and we exchanged gifts and I showered my surrogate with gifts the whole journey through Uh, just, you know, such selfless women are giving this opportunity for people like myself that can't have children to have children. And so it was still kind of in the back of my mind that she had sent that voice message, but I still was like, Oh, I'm not going to let the devil steal this away from me. Like, this is what I am, have been working to towards for 15 years. Like, let's do this. So, uh, the next morning, uh, my parents had flown in from Florida and we were just all pumped. We had, you know, the cheesy, like, mom, dad, grandma, grandpa shirts. Like, we oh. – that was us. Oh, my goodness. Had, oh. I mean, guys, I'm telling you, anything that you could think of, like, you're welcoming a baby in, that was us. So I woke up the next morning, and I'll never forget this, and I don't – I still don't know why this ever happened to me, and I haven't told a lot of people this, but – I woke up at 4.30 in the morning. We were going to be leaving at 5 to go or 5.30 to the hospital. And the very first thing I did is text my surrogate and say, have they hooked London up to the heart monitor yet? And she said, oh, no, not yet. They're still running, you know, COVID test and blood test and all this stuff. And I was like, oh, okay, well, let me know when they do. I have never, ever questioned anything medical for London the entire pregnancy. Wow. And I don't know why I asked that. I really don't know. And I went to the bathroom and I held a cold washcloth over my face and I was like, God, I don't know what this feeling is, but if – if there is something wrong, I'm, I'm going to trust you, but I'm hoping that this is just the devil trying to steal my joy. And Steve had his dad shirt on and he said, Oh, are you not going to wear, are we not wearing our shirts? And I said, well, I think maybe we should just save them for after she's born because we don't want to get them all dirty. Like when we do skin to skin and, I was talking myself out of this without even knowing what was about to happen. And we went, I kept checking my phone like every five seconds asking, have they hooked you up? Have they hooked you up? And then I started getting no response and we drove Mm. the five minutes to the hospital and I walked in and I clicked that button and I said, Hi, it's Kristen and Steve and we're here to meet our surrogate and we're, they're in room something I don't remember and they said, oh, okay, have a seat in the lobby. She's in with the doctor and I don't know what's right or wrong. I didn't know that that was normal or abnormal. So yeah. we sat in the lobby and I looked at Steve and I said, I need you to text the surrogate's husband, and him being the doctor saying, Kristen, she's in with the doctor. Just let them do their work. And I looked at him like I have never looked at him before. And I said, I need you to text him right now. And the doctor or the nurse said, okay, Kristen and Steve, you can come back with us. And we walked in and we were taken to this Dark testing room. Hmm. Maybe it wasn't dark. I just felt that way. Maybe, but I knew it wasn't the surrogates room.
1: Right. So so immediately I'm sure like, yeah. asking why you're not. Yeah. Immediately,
0: or... I knew something was wrong, and at now I know. But in the moment, Steve was thinking, still, this is normal, oh. and the doctor walked in with two nurses and she shook her head and said it's not good and i will never f- forget that image those words my feelings it's it was like my mom instinct took over and i i was preparing myself Before the news hit me and Steve was ballistic. He was screaming. He was saying like, you just saw her last week. What do you mean? She doesn't have a heartbeat. Like this can't be right. Go check again. Like this can't be right. And I was in complete silence. I didn't even know what to say or what to feel. My immediate response was, let's go home. Send my parents home back on the plane. I want to go home. I didn't, I wanted to escape yeah. the feeling and escape that news. Um, and then I realized that my surrogate still had to have a C section and get London out. And so Steve offered to go into the surrogacy room with her. And she was, you know, as everyone was in hysterics, the doctor, the nurses, everyone. And she was like, no, I think I'd just rather have my husband. And we, you know, we honored that. And I didn't even know what was next to come. And no one prepared me for a stillbirth of a, perfect pregnancy that
1: wow. was
0: now n- nothing there was n- no baby and they you know said why don't you you know go outside get some fresh air and i remember a nurse came up to me and said uh i just want you to know that we got london all dressed and ready for you to see her and she's so beautiful and she's so perfect and in the moment I wanted to punch her face because she wasn't perfect she wasn't here she wasn't breathing if she was perfect she would have been alive and I didn't even know that they we're going to get her dr- I thought they were just going to take her and I would never see her. And that would be the end. And we would just take the five hour drive back home um, with nothing. And my husband was like, I need to go see London. And I, no. my immediate response was, I can't, I don't want to see her like this because I don't think I'll ever want to leave. And I, I don't want to ever have that image in my head of what I could have had. And I kept hearing this voice in my head saying, Kristen, get up. You need to stand up right now and you need to go see her. And this was over the span of, you know, three or four hours where I was debating whether I could do this or not. And uh, I finally said, okay, let's do this. My legs were numb. I could barely walk. And we walked back into the hospital and there was a a white rose on the door of where she was. And they opened up the door and there must've been like, 10 or 12 people, nurses and doctors in the room with London. And as soon as they heard that we were there at the door, everyone parted ways and it was like they were presenting the most beautiful angel I have ever seen. And, my reaction was the complete opposite of what I thought it was going to be. I thought I was not going to be able to control myself. I didn't think I was going to be able to breathe, think anything, but it was like her age, her presence was so alive in that room, even though she wasn't alive. And I couldn't help myself but like smile at her and say like she is the most beautiful baby I've ever seen and the doctor said you can hold her and I I was like what do you what do you mean like I and she's like she you can hold her and I held her and I'll never forget that feeling I For 15 years and all of the surgeries and all of the losses and all of the work that we had put in to have a child, even though she wasn't alive, I felt like she was. I don't know. It's it's such a weird way of putting it, but I looked at her and I said to the doctor – but she looks so healthy. Like she was pink and perfect and nothing seemed wrong. I said, I was, I'm just waiting for her to breathe. And she was like, I know. And everyone's probably listening, thinking, well, there had to have been something wrong. And to this day, we still don't know what happened. There was nothing wrong with the surrogate. There was nothing wrong with London. Yeah. I mean, it could have been a court accident. We don't, we don't know. Um, and I, I know I, I, and I know that there's, there are women out there that have experienced loss at any stage, early miscarriage, stillbirth days after birth. Um, where you feel embarrassed. You feel like you have set up everyone to welcome this new child into the world. And now you have to explain what happened and why it happened. And I I couldn't even turn on my phone, I think, for four weeks after oh, wow. London passed. My husband had to get, he calls it a burner phone, but <laughs> um, he, he went to AT&T and got like the cheapest, I think it was like a flip phone or something. Um So that I could talk to the people that I wanted to, which in the moment was only my surrogate. Oh, wow. And in a strange way, I think it was her because she – I felt like she was London. I felt like she was the closest piece of London that I still had. Mm-hmm. And I I couldn't face the text messages saying, oh, you just must be in mommy land and mommy heaven with – People just don't know.
1: Because wow. they no- don't know.
0: You know, and you, you plan in your head, like what my post on social media is going to be yeah. like the wording oh. and of, of the excitement. And then it turned into, well, now what's it going to be? Because I, I have to share because, you know, everyone so was, you had shared. Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. um, And so we, actually stayed in the hospital that night from the very beginning of the journey. I told all of the nurses and doctors, I don't want to leave until my surrogate is discharged. I don't feel right. Like just leaving her there, even, you know, if the baby is ready to go. And obviously when we didn't have a baby to look after at that point, uh, we still stayed in the hospital with the surrogate and uh, made sure that she was okay. And oh, those, those two days were long. I've never cried the way I've cried before. My husband says he can still hear that sound um, of a mother losing her child. And it's a cry that can't be described. And I actually held on to London for hours. And I finally reached a point where I was like, okay, you can take her. And I, I still – it's so clear and vivid in my head of putting her – in the basket and letting them wheel her off and feeling like i'm back to square one again Mm -hmm. my initial response out of shock to the doctor was are there any other babies in the hospital that are born right now that don't have parents that i can have and obviously like that That was my shock speaking, but that's where my heart was, is I just wanted a baby so bad and nothing seemed to be working. We were, I mean, hours away from our dream coming true and then it was taken from us again. Uh, And we drove our five-hour ride home with now the car seat thrown in the trunk and my parents ended up coming back to the house with us and it felt like the longest car ride. My heart was so broken. My heart hurt bad and it's just a, a pain that you just can't explain. And I don't, I think I was, still in shock where I was like, okay, let's do this again. Like, let's get a surrogate tomorrow. Like, let's go. And I obviously wasn't ready for that. I I ended up being like in a sleep coma for four days after we got home. And uh, I think the only way I felt better was sleeping and dreaming and I, because I could feel no pain when I did that. And the second I woke up, I immediately mm-hmm. felt pain again. And I, ugh, the coolest thing, you guys. Okay. So let's lighten the mood a little bit, shall hey, we? I've been, okay, I've been answer, sobbing right? over here. So mm-hmm. please. <laughs> I know. Okay. So everyone that is crying right now, let's lighten the mood a little bit. So Kristen went on to Etsy, my favorite place to shop. And I – this was when London was probably six months, you know, in the womb. And so I wanted to get a shirt that said London on it but without it, like, being, like, London, London you know, England. with, like, a flag yeah, right. or something. <laughs> right. So I just searched London shirt. And it this one came up. And the font was so cool. And it said, London is the reason. And I was like, wow, I don't know why I like that, but it's kind of cool. And I bought it. And I was thinking already preparing myself for everyone reading my shirt to say, what is London the reason for? Mm -hmm. And I I already had my answers planned out. London is the reason I have no sleep anymore. Mm -hmm. London is the reason my house looks like a disaster. London. So I already, it was ready. I was all ready. Um, And so my, when we came home from the hospital, I was in my closet getting, I was looking for a sweatshirt and crazy enough, I had never worn that sweatshirt yet. And I was going through my closet and I saw it. Mm -hmm. And I was like, wait, wait. Like this makes sense. Like London is the reason that we will continue. London is the reason that we – are going to be stronger as a couple, as a family, as human beings, and it became so clear to me why I randomly bought the most random sweatshirt known to man. Mm-hmm. And I put it on and I I just was like in disbelief that I had owned this sweatshirt. And It was, uh, I think a week after where I could finally come out of my room, people were sending me white flowers. My house looked like a funeral home. I hated it. It was so sad. And every time I walked out of the room, there would be more flowers delivered and they would all be white. And now I understand, like, that is the nicest thing. Like you you feel like you need to do a gesture like that for somebody that just lost anyone. But flowers die. And I just dealt with death. And that was the last thing I wanted to see. And my mom, after a couple of days, was like, I know obviously that you're going through a lot, but there's something that seems to be bothering you more than normal. And I said, I hate all of these flowers. I can't come out of my room anymore. This is, and she goes, let's get rid of them. And we started chucking all of these flowers into the, into the trash can outside. And we kept the one bouquet that someone sent with beautiful, colorful flowers. And, I think that that's a good message to anyone that you you feel like you need to help and you want to help, but think about what you're sending and think about what that person is going through before you just jump to what's the cliche thing to send. And because um, that honestly was such a trigger for me and... I never thought it would be, I thought, Oh, that's nice. You know, people are sending flowers. Um, but it was two weeks after London had passed, we had actually went to a couple of support groups in that timeframe and they were good. Um, but not for our situation, like Mm. as intended parents, I wasn't experiencing hormones anymore. I didn't have milk in my breast with no child. I was just a mom ready to be a mom without being pregnant. So when people were explaining loss and how to deal with infant loss, it felt like nothing applied to me. And Mm -hmm. I was... In that moment where I realized immediately, it was like, it was so clear to me the moment that London's purpose became real and why she wasn't here. And I, I now know that London didn't need to be here to make change and to make the support of support surrogate and intended parent loss, the way it's going to be. And it's that is the coolest thing to me that she didn't need to live a minute to, to make waves and move mountains in this world. And I knew that her purpose was to help others that are experiencing what Steve and I went through and she gave her life to help others. And it was the most selfless thing that she could have done. And obviously she, I don't know if she chose to do that. I don't, I will will never know her personally, but I could feel like that was her reasoning. And that is when, London is the reason was born, and I I immediately started a nonprofit in London's honor, called London is the reason after that cheesy sweatshirt. And did you
1: tell the Etsy maker like, hey, you know
0: what? I did, I did, and it was like some guy. He was from London, and I want to say it's like a a title of a song. Um, and I Mm. actually explained it to him and he said it was the most touching email he had ever received for making a shirt that he didn't know could change someone's life. And yeah, I know I definitely reached out to him and it was just the, that was like such a cool thing. Cause you know, you make things or you think of things and you're like, this probably isn't going to do anything, but when it, it did that, it was a really, really cool thing.
2: So what does London is the reason, what is the, I mean, tell us about so that everybody who's listening knows kind of what, you, I mean, obviously we've, we've heard the story is where it is, but what is its purpose going forward specifically? I I have a lot of assumptions based around what you said, but I want everybody else to know for sure.
0: Well, and I think that um, what people don't realize is when you look for infant loss support, there's a ton out there. Books, support groups, Facebook groups, you name it. There are groups of people and women and men that are helping each other with natural pregnancy infant loss. But when I came home from the hospital and I'm researching intended parent infant loss, surrogacy infant loss, there was nothing. Now, when I I like to think of myself that I come up with these brilliant ideas and then I look on Google and I'm like, "Oh wait, that already exists." <sighs> And I, I love Shark Tank. So I'm like thinking like, oh, I can be on Shark Tank with all of these ideas that I have. But then I'm like, oh, wait, that already exists too. So in my mind, I'm thinking, okay, I'm just not looking in the right place. There has to be one group. There has to be one book on this. And I will tell everyone in this world that there is not there is not one. And I would call every infant support group possible that I could find and ask them. And their answer would be, we don't have any support for that specifically, but you are more than welcome to join our infant loss support group. And I realized that Our our science beat out our support. We can prepare, we can make babies with all of the science and technology that we have today, but our support has not followed that. Our support has stayed way behind. And London is now the reason that we can support surrogates and intended parents that face loss. And I love the structure of the nonprofit because with loss in that specific journey, you're affecting two different lives in two different ways. My surrogate is grieving different than I'm grieving. And her husband is grieving different than my husband. And I feel like I selfishly wanted a child and realized that I now affected someone's life that was perfect with two babies. And now she has to know that she had a baby die inside of her for the rest of her life. And I feel like I did that. And she's feeling like her one job was to carry a child for an an amazing opportunity to give someone a child, and she failed. And so the support is so specific in that. And I opened up a support line for anyone at any stage of loss in surrogacy or as an intended parent to reach out and know that they're not alone. I know that I spoke with a bunch of therapists and I didn't find any help in that. I I knew my healing began when I started talking to other intended parents that had faced loss as well. And that's when I began my healing. And I knew that there Are women out there that have experienced exactly what I have, but are too ashamed to share. And I feel like if more people speak up about it, that we can as a whole make it more normal to to talk and to not only is that healing for them, but they don't realize that it could be healing for someone else and their story could change the lives of other people. Mm -hmm. And so I offer one-on-one free of charge, come and talk to me. Um, I offer healing boxes for those that recently just lost a child I have healing boxes for uh, surrogates and different healing healing boxes for intended parents.
1: Yeah. What's in those boxes?
0: So in the surrogacy box are a lot of self-care. And there's a book that's called – I don't want to get the name wrong. Um, How – what is the uh, – I'm – Hold place. I'm, <laughs> well, I'm gonna look I, it up because I don't I want to. I was also going
1: to ask and have you talk about that you also wrote a book. So when you mentioned that you didn't find books out there, you took matters into your own hands. So I'd love to hear you talk about that.
0: I did. I did. Okay. So the book on the surrogacy is called "How to Carry What Can't Be Fixed," hmm. and I well, feel like that is so important for surrogates to know that. They didn't do anything wrong and there's nothing that can be fixed at this point. So to find healing in themselves and to not blame themselves is so important. Um, And then also books that go into both uh, IPs and surrogacy boxes are Your Grief, Your Way Everyone grieves differently, and I feel like journaling, and there's no wrong way to heal. There's no wrong way to grieve, and I feel like the way you choose to grieve is going to be the right way for you. And I feel like what is in these boxes, um, I have spent tons of time researching on what I would have liked to have leaving the hospital and how that could have changed how I spent the next months of pain and hoping that that doesn't happen to anyone else where they can find peace and hope sooner than later. Um, And speaking on the book that I wrote. Yeah. So I, in school... I was not a school person. I hated school. I knew I was going to be in the creative world when I was very young. So reading, writing, no, 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 no. (laughs) There was something that um, when I was healing after London, I loved writing. And I'm sure everything I wrote was spelt wrong, but that's okay because no one was judging (laughs) me. I was outside on my patio just writing and just letting my words flow onto this paper. And I wrote, I guess it's a poem. I don't even know how, like, what a poem consists of or what makes it a poem. Like, I'm telling you guys, I... I'm not an author. Well, I guess I am now. (laughs) Technically,
1: um, you are. So
0: I was reading what I wrote to one of my best friends, and she said, Kristen, this is a children's book. And I was like, okay, (laughs) no. Like, I know you're trying to be supportive here, but you have crossed the line. A book? No, no, no. And I think that I used my healing as maybe like taking this on as a challenge or maybe Mm -hmm. I just wanted it to come to fruition and I found an, a graphic or a illustrator and he donated his time for the purpose of London and made my words come to life in a book. And the book is called An Angel Gave Us Our Angel. And it's available on Amazon. And it's a book about bringing home, you are expecting to bring home a baby and you don't. And how, if you have a sibling at home and they know that There's going to be a baby because it was in mommy's belly for a whole year and you're so excited. And the moment that that baby doesn't come through the door, how do you explain that to your child? And the way I wrote the book is perfect for a child to understand that that baby is still there, but not present. And, and it's
1: from the perspective of um, an adorable dog, is that right?
0: Yes, my dog Gunner. So I have two Scotty dogs. And so I think maybe Gunner was sitting outside with me on the patio when I wrote it. So it's fr- he is the the narrator in the book. And he is so excited to have his baby sister come home. And uh and then she, she doesn't. And, mm-hmm. um, it, you know, he's it, the illustrations are so good where he's just like sitting there um, looking, I'm looking at, the,
1: at it on your website and he is adorable. He's oh,
0: really cute. he's so cute. And you'll notice a lot of things with London is the reason are white butterflies, which, mm-hmm. um, in the end of the book is, I don't want to give it away because I want people to mm-hmm. read it, but I had somebody early on after London passed, reach out to me saying, have you seen London? And I was like, I don't know what you mean. Mm -hmm. And she was like, you will see signs of London. Let me know when you do. And I thought she was crazy. I literally was like, has this girl lost her mind? Like maybe like she's, I don't know. So, after that conversation, I was sitting at the kitchen table. I always do because there's so many windows and it's just so open and that's just kind of where I felt like I could have peace. And for the first time ever in all of my life, I started to see white butterflies flying by the windows. And I was thinking, oh, well, those are pretty. And then I would see them again. And I kept seeing butterflies. And I thought, wait a minute. I remember that girl asking me, have I seen London? And to this day, I see London all the time. I wow. will be having a bad day or I'll you know, just have those days where I just miss London more than normal. And I see a white butterfly like fly right in front of my car or like I'm walking out to, you know, feed the dogs or whatever. And I see a white butterfly and it's just amazing how things like that, you don't, you don't notice until they're there. And I know that that's London being like, mom, I'm, I'm right here with you. Like, I, I know that you're hurting and I know that you have gone through so much and miss me, but I am right here and I can feel her so present every day.
1: love it.
2: You had a,
0: oh,
1: sorry, Ellen. I was like, <laughs> well, um, I was you sure. had, oh, Go so
2: we we're both going to keep doing it. Yeah. <laughs> 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 um, you had an amazing relationship it sounds like with your surrogate and i know you said you stayed in touch with her but do you mind i know we've gone so far over on this but do you mind talking just briefly about you know to the extent that you know like her healing journey and obviously your continued relationship up until now
0: yeah so you know i feel like like i said everyone grieves differently and um In the very beginning, I feel like we were each other's support system. And I feel like we weren't very open to accepting anyone else to help us but each other. And in a lot of surrogacy intended parent relationships after loss, I feel like they blame each other and so it's a loss relationship and it's extremely sad because you just lost your child and then you're trying to figure out what happened and your only option is to blame the person that was carrying your child and think they could have done something wrong. Um, and I know that we both seeked uh, therapy, uh, but again, the only way of healing was connecting with myself, other intended parents that have faced loss, and my surrogate finding other surrogates that have loss. And I, I, I will preach this till the day I die: is the importance of sharing your journey although it can be so painful and it feels like you just, you run a marathon every single time you tell it, it is helping other people. And I will forever be grateful to my surrogate for giving me London. I don't have London physically, but emotionally and mentally, she has changed my life for the better. And without my surrogate, I would never have that option. I never would have the most beautiful guardian angel watching over me and changing my life. And I know that she has gone into helping other surrogates facing loss. So I I feel like we both went the route of helping instead of hurting. Um and it, it like it's so hard because I I I talk to people daily about this and There will be women that I talk to that have said, it's been five years since I've lost my child and I still can't get back to my normal life. And I don't think there's any sense of normalcy after loss. I think there's a sense of difference in your life. And I think that's very um, important to notice that your life will not be the same but you have to find the beauty in celebrating those that have, lo- have been lost. We celebrate London like she's here. We celebrate her birthday. I get balloons and cake and we have a birthday party for her. And, you know, uh, for at Christmas, we have the, our London tree and she's still here. She's still very present. And instead of escaping the pain, we choose to celebrate her. And I think that is what has made our healing easier in a sense. So I I challenge those that feel like their life will never be the same to try and change their hurt into help and into hope and try and not let the pain take over your life as hard as that is because there is light. You just have to find it.
1: I'm sure that's so important for so many to hear. Before we wrap up, do you want to share a bit of your, I don't don't know if you want to say happy ending, but that you did have an opportunity to become a parent.
0: Yes. So in the very beginning of the podcast, I mentioned that I have two babies on earth. And um, so after London passed, I, I, like I said, I'm not young. Had I maybe been in my early 30s, I feel like we would have waited like maybe three or four years before trying again. But I knew that I'm... I'm 42, so I knew that my I didn't want to be like so old when my kids were graduating high school. I still wanted to be able to be like cool and hip, and not be like, "Oh, that's my mom over there." You know, I have a I'm, I'm a teenager.
2: Cool. You'll never be cool and hip. It's totally fine. <laughs> <Yeah>.
0: <laughs> no, I'm like, Ugh, I I'm not looking forward to those days. Um, but I. I thought, you know, there's no guarantee in life at this point. You can have a perfect pregnancy all the way through and still no guarantee. And so we chose to do surrogacy again uh, with a different surrogate. And we chose to do adoption at the same time. And it was back to the drawing board. But my determination was insane. Like people would tell me, okay, Kristen, like when you get into adoption, it's a whole new world. You have to do like these home studies and you got to make these books and you got to, and it takes like a year just to get it." A- no, it took, I had the home study girl here the next day. I made, I personally made our profile book. It, What would have taken like probably six to nine months, I did in like three weeks. And I was determined that this was going to happen. Now, you wouldn't think that, you know, you're thinking, wow, they just went through a huge loss after 15 years and everything. Give them a break. No, we got scammed three times with adoption. Oh, Oh, no. $15,000 on one of the um, adoption girls who who was uh, birth mothers, excuse me, that was with an agency. And actually, had we stayed with her, um, she didn't end up placing the baby. So that would have been us leaving the hospital again, empty handed. So God was like, you know what, I'm getting you out of the situation right now um and so it was january 21st of 22. um so seven eight months after london passed we were presented um to adopt from a young birth mom and it was a baby girl and she was born in nevada and we flew there and we still keep in touch with the birth mom Mm -hmm. and we have our little baby girl bexley Mm -hmm. and i when i named her i wanted to honor london without it being like london you know like how do you like right they're their own person but like you want to be like well how do I do that? Like we could make London her middle name, but that's still kind of weird. Um, So I started looking up cities in London. I was like, maybe there's like a cool name and they call them boroughs over there. And so I was going through the list and there is a borough in in London called Bexley. And so that is how Bexley got her name. And so we were on cloud nine, like walk still very nervous, you know, like after adoption, you have that 48 hour span where the mom can change their mind. And I'm thinking, okay, with my luck at this point, anything can happen. So I'm not even going to get my hopes up till we walk through our garage door with a baby. Um, And so we did, and while we were in the hospital, Um, with Bexley, uh, we got notification from our surrogate that our son was going to be born in September. And so all of our children are seven months apart. And this is one of the coolest things. I'm going to end with this because it's it's such a powerful way and this is how i wanted to end my journey almost like conclude my pain and my anxiety is um the doctor that delivered london uh connected us with this surrogate and she said you know If you want to go with a different doctor, you don't want to come back to the same hospital. Like, I completely understand. Like, you guys just went through tragedy. And I wanted to face that. I wanted to face walking through those hospital doors again and walking right by London's room and facing the doctors and knowing that I am going to walk away with a baby because now London is with me. And I my anxiety was through the roof. I felt like I was gonna have a heart attack. Like I felt like so much pain in my chest as I walked through the doors. And my husband was with Bexley at the Airbnb and he said, Do you want me to come with you? And I was like, no, I have to do this alone. This is something I have to do it for myself. And and I did it. And I I walked through those doors and I walked by that bell that we rang and said, we're here to see our surrogate. And I walked by the room that held the white rose. And the most powerful thing for me is the nurses all shifted their shifts around to be there for the birth wow. board. So everyone that was there when London had passed was there when when my son was born. And we made a huge prayer circle around our surrogate before my son was born. And everyone was wearing their London is the reason sweatshirts. Oh. And as the doctor, you could tell she was hopeful and anxious and nervous. And all, everyone in the room was like, please God, just let this child be healthy for this family. And out popped the most healthy, beautiful, chunky, happy, Mm -hmm. loving little boy. And he is London's biological brother. And he has so many similarities to London. And and his name is Ford. And his name doesn't have any special meaning, so don't ask me for that because I just saw on- <laughs> I saw it on a list and thought, I love that name. And so that's how we picked his name. But um, just to know that we left that hospital with Ford, in a car seat and I'm being wheeled out in a wheelchair and with a smile on my face and still very mixed emotions that the last time I left there was with nothing, Um, was so full circle. And it it was a definite way for me to heal and for me to conclude what was the worst thing that could ever, ever, ever happen to us. And it was changed into the most beautiful journey. And and that's, that's kind of what I want people to see is like, there's me saying it was such a beautiful journey. And let's go back to what I said in the very beginning of this podcast is, I wouldn't change what happened. In a very weird way, I obviously don't... I, of course, wanted London to be here. I would I would do anything to have her back. But I now get to change people's lives because of her. I now get... To be a mom to Bexley and Ford, who I never would have been able to meet had it not been for London. I wouldn't be the wife, the mom, the, the person I am today, had it not been for her. And I I hate, I, I am not that person that's like everything happens for a reason. I'm just not. I don't believe that that is a true statement. But there's part of this story that makes sense to me where in the very beginning, I just wanted to yell at everyone and I hated everyone. And I was like, this is, I'm ready to end my life. How can this even be happening? And now it's, it's as though I understand
1: Oh, everything you've been through is so hard, but also so inspirational. We are so grateful to you and all the work that you and your organization and London is doing. And we so encourage listeners to check out London is the reason and um, support the cause. But thank you. Thank you. Thank you for for sharing your story.
0: Of course. And if you guys want to check out Um, Anything else, like the healing boxes, if you know anyone that has gone through um, a recent loss at any stage of the journey, uh, londonisthereason.org is how you can get a hold of the uh, healing boxes. And again, those are all just donated by the nonprofit. So you're not buying a healing box that the funds to create those are by donation Um, So any donation that anyone wants to make um, is so helpful to women out there and has been. I receive emails weekly about surrogates and intended parents that have faced loss and they didn't know where to reach and now they have a place to and that is so comforting to me. So Please check that out. Um, if you want to sign up to talk with me and just be an ear to listen to and vent your story, like I've been there, I know, I know the feeling, and um, I feel like that. Like I said, is very comforting. So, don't hesitate to reach out. Anyone, um, I'm I'm here to help. Thank you so
1: Thank much. You. Thank you to Kristen for sharing her story and for being such an inspiration of taking such a hard time and doing what you can to, to help others and to make their time less painful. Yeah, I, I will admit, and you know, anyone who knows me knows I'm pretty well cold and dead
2: inside for the most part, but I <laughs> sobbed. It, I was muted most of the time because I was sobbing the entire time we were listening and I, this is such a, a funny, like 24 hours afterwards is like in the same time period. So my child almost passed away 15 years ago this month. And the memory popped up in Facebook, like Ellen accidentally queued me to mm-hmm. it. I went and looked and it was made me sad. And uh, of course my child is alive, you know, yay. They're wonderful. They're healthy now. But they came downstairs the next morning wearing a hat that said London across it. And mm-hmm. I was just like, I just lost it. Cause I was like, oh my God, all these mm-hmm. connections together. And then since then everywhere I've been seeing white butterflies. So I hope wow. that Kristen knows that London is the reason and is London is everywhere, inspiring people everywhere. So uh, amazing. And thank you to her for, for coming on and being so open and raw about everything. Um, of course, of course, always thank you to everyone for being here with us, for leaving reviews, for joining our Facebook group, for giving us a call at 303 303- nine nine seven one nine zero three but most of all thank you to our team to melissa to tyler to amanda and of course thank you to all of you